All right, let's pray that God will teach us, and then we'll jump into the text. Lord, I do pray uh, what we sang a few moments ago. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and uh, teach us and deliver his word and fall down in power. Lord, uh, the power is not found in me. The power is found in the truth and in the scripture, in the word of God. But Lord, it can't uh, get to the folks in the pew unless you, through the Holy Spirit, deliver it. Deliver it in a way that will bring about life change. So Father, we pray that you will teach us as you've taught me this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's start in Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the first, the thing that this whole conversation is about is the all important question. I want us to see that the parable is not saying, uh, hey guys, this dude was nice and you should be nice too. If you, if you see that and that's all you see, you're going to miss the whole point. Because this whole conversation, including the parable, is about the question of eternal life. Verse 25 says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher. Now, this is the start of the conversation. He said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this story is not primarily about being a good neighbor, or taking care of the needy, or social justice, or anything less than how to gain eternal life. So like I said, if all we get out of the story is this guy was nice to somebody in need, then we're going to miss the point of what Jesus was talking about. All real evangelism starts right here with the question of eternal life or eternal punishment. It's not about prosperity in this life. It's not about healing in this life. It's not about happiness in this life. It's not about success in this life. It's not about money in this life or ease and comfort in this life. It's not about this life primarily. Real evangelism is about the life to come and whether your soul will be in heaven or hell. Now there's no third option as to where you'll be. Annihilationism is the thought that perhaps the 
good, or maybe if you're a little more right in your doctrine, the justified by Christ will go to heaven and the guilty will be annihilated rather than go to hell. That's a pleasant thought, I guess, but it's not biblical. It's something that men made up to make eternity sound more palatable. Naturalism teaches that you're nothing but meat and bones and blood and chemicals, and when you die, those things cease to function, and that's the end. That's not true either. At the end of life, we can't curl up in a grave and hide from God. We have to face Him. So as long as we approach evangelism by explaining the perks that are available to you here and now, we are avoiding the real heart of the matter. Now, people don't want to talk about hell because hell is taboo. It sounds kind of dark ages. It's not, <laughs> not something uh, very politically correct. We don't want to talk about it. Lots of people don't want to talk about the life to come either, though, because their life here is pretty good. If you go to some rich, successful, happy people in an affluent neighborhood and you try to give them the gospel, they're like, nah, I'm good. We experienced this over and over. I did all of my uh, young evangelism at Bellevue. And so we would get in a car and we would go to see people that had come to visit, come to visit the church. And uh, a couple of the neighborhoods we would often go to, one was Bartlett. It's a nice place, um, very, very middle class kind of neighborhood. And then sometimes we would go to Germantown. <clears throat> and I got to where every time my card said Germantown, I'd go, oh, because Germantown is where the rich people lived. And I like rich people. <laughs> but when I'd go to see the rich people, they wouldn't have time for me. They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to talk about eternal life. They were just fine right here and now because they were happy where they were. I would go to Bartlett sometimes and I'd see people who were dealing with a little more, uh, a little more gritty substance in their life. They were dealing with a little more difficulty. They were having some muddling troubles. They were having some marital troubles. They were having trouble with their kids. They were normal folks. And they tended to have a lot more time to listen to the gospel. So if we sell this deal about how Jesus is going to help improve your life here and now, we're not going to get any attention from people who are just fine here and now. That's not what evangelism is about. Jesus never promises a life of all roses and no thorns here and now. Actually, we saw a few weeks ago what he promised. What he promised us is that you'll have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. We have to change our message from Jesus will fix you here to Jesus will deliver you in the life to come. Now, do you remember our discussion a few weeks ago of the Americanized gospel? You know, it says that Jesus doesn't mind your pride or your materialism or your autonomy. Really, he'll just help you get more of that and it'll be good. Well, run from people who teach that because they're false teachers that preach a different gospel. Now, the fruits of this teaching are evident in the the children of the people who bought into it. And we can see it in the church constantly. In the church today, we're largely reaping the whirlwind of what was sown in this alternate Jesus will enhance your life gospel. People have a consumer mindset about the church today. People ask, what church should we go to? The answer is the church that gives us everything we want. Awesome music, 
preaching that tickles my ears. Really, the right answer, though, is somewhere that glorifies God, preaches truth, not mostly truth with a little poison mixed in. That's, that's not good. If you've got a big old glass of sweet tea with a little bit of just three drops of arsenic in it, you still don't want that, right? So somewhere that preaches the truth without poison and a place that needs you. I know people don't approach church that way for the large part these days. They say, what can the church do for me? And that's great. The church should do things for you. Don't get me wrong. The church should provide you accountability. It should provide you instruction. It should disciple you. But your major concern doesn't need to be, what all can this church do for me? But how can I serve the Lord through being in this church? And then if you find a church, a lot of our younger folks today, uh, just of a certain generation, will go, should we go to church today? Well, I don't know. Is it, is it too hot? Is it too cold? Are we too tired? You know, do we, do we have something else we need to do? Uh, it's been a busy week. Don't we deserve a break? Do I feel perfect and rested? <laughs> like I said earlier, since about the age of 35, I don't think I've ever woken up feeling perfect and rested. And it doesn't get better. Uh, are they only going to do music that I personally prefer in every single song? And I'm not picking on the young folks. I'm picking on all of us. Uh, there is a lady who is... Uh, very, very much senior adult in our church. And I was told the other day that she didn't come because sometimes we do music that was written after 1980. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's the summary. Astonishing, isn't it? That people can be so petty. It's self, it's, it's that consumer mentality. It's you do for me and I get entertained. Might the preacher go over his allotted 30 minutes? I haven't found in the Bible where I have 30 minutes. Did y'all know that? Paul preached so long that a guy fell asleep, fell out of the window, died, was resurrected. And then Paul, what did he do? He went on and preached until daylight. Okay. <laughs> so that 30 minute thing is not real. Um, it's no wonder that people approach church with a consumer mindset if they got the gospel that says Jesus is going to enhance your life. Now, he does enhance your life. I am a happy person. I'm blessed. I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful marriage. And those things are a result of getting the word of God into me and obeying the word of God. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't owe me that, okay? There are martyrs who are miserable and suffering in this life. They are more faithful than I am. So I'm not saying that if you follow Christ, all good things will happen to you. But I am saying that if you read the manufacturer's instructions and do the way things the way he says to do them, things are probably going to end up better. For years we've preached about how God can enhance your life. What we need to preach is how you can be spared from the hell that we all deserve. And if you are a true Christian, how you, who have been bought with a price, can best serve your Lord and Master. That should take away some of that consumer mentality if we can get that right. Then we'll start asking, how can I serve the Lord and His church, rather than how can God and the church serve me and my family? Now, Jesus taught us how to be reconciled to God and escape judgment, not how to have your best life now. So this lawyer asked the exact right question, the most important possible question. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but a lot of times when Jesus was asked a question, he wouldn't give a straight answer. He would ask a question back 
to the person that asked him. That way he could help people think through their question, think through the motivation for their question, think through the sensibleness of the question, and, uh, and what might be behind the question. Now, there's a wonderful book I read uh, recently called Questioning Evangelism. It's not questioning the validity or the need of evangelism. It's saying that when you are approached by somebody who, especially, you know, 40 and under kind of people, and they come to you and they say, what about when bad things happen to good people? Okay, instead of a solid apologetic answer, which is what I was trained to do, <laughs> I was trained to say, okay, here is a good apologetic. And by apologetic, I don't mean you're saying you're sorry. Apologia means to give a defense. So instead of giving a good, solid, biblical, well-reasoned defense that they've probably heard before and have probably rejected before and are probably going to reject again when you say it, it says, hey, talk to them about why they're asking the question." That way you can tear down some of the veneer of, of the question and get to the heart of the problem. And so let me recommend that book to you. It's called Questioning Evangelism. I, I think it's worth reading for everybody if you want to write that down or go order it on Amazon. All right, great book called Questioning Evangelism. Well, Jesus was doing it before it was cool and before this guy wrote this book <laughs> because he knew that he wanted to get to the heart of the question behind the question. Verse 25 tells us that the guy asking Jesus this most important of questions was a lawyer. Now, when we think of lawyer, we think, well, is, was he a criminal lawyer, or a corporate lawyer, or an estate planning lawyer, or a personal injury lawyer? What was he? Well, he was a religious lawyer, meaning that his entire training was in the law of God and in the religious law. Now, this guy was a prominent fellow. He was somebody. He was among the intellectual, religious, and social elite of his day. Now, going back to last week, I don't know if you remember this passage. It said that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So this guy was one of the wise and understanding. Now, as we said last week, that doesn't prevent him from coming to God, but he cannot get there. He cannot come to God unless he loses his pride and comes like a little child. As so often happens when speaking to folks like this, we see that in verse 29, it says, he desiring to justify himself. All right, that's where the story goes wrong here. Um, had he come to Jesus and said, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? It was a perfect question. Nothing wrong with the question. And Jesus said, well, what's the law say? And the guy said, well, it says you've got to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, all, all your faculties to the supreme degree every second of your life and love your neighbor as yourself. If this guy had said, I can't do that. I haven't done that. I know that's what the law says, but I can't do it. Then Jesus would have said, you are right. And he would have shown him mercy. And he would have said, since you know that you can't do it, here is what's happened. I came to do it for you. But this guy desired to justify himself. And he said, who is my neighbor? Now, what keeps people from embracing 
saving faith like a child. It is pride. What made the glorious, magnificent, most beautiful of created things, Lucifer, what made him into Satan? Pride. If you get a little twinge of concern about your eternal life while you're sitting there today, what's going to prevent you from coming up and saying, Brother, I'm not sure I'm saved. Will you help me understand this and pray with me? What would keep you in your seat? Pride would keep you in your seat. You know, uh, they say curiosity killed the cat. Well, curiosity may kill cats, but pride is what sends men and women to hell. This lawyer, though, to his credit, at least knew the question to ask. He was concerned about eternal life. It seems that many, 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 many Americans, and some in my family, not in my immediate family, but in my bigger family, can amuse themselves. And we said a few weeks ago, the word amuse, ah, means not. Muse means think. So we Americans are really good at amusing ourselves into not thinking about eternity. Well, it's absolutely essential that we think about where we will spend eternity. Compared to eternity, this life is like a vapor. I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a very skilled cook, but sometimes when we're cooking, Melissa will say, hey, go stir the green beans and make sure they don't burn. And I'll open the lid of the thing and steam will go out everywhere and I'll stir it. Well, 10 seconds later, you can't find that vapor, can you? Because it's dispersed into the air. That is how quick our life here is compared to our eternal life. We better ask the question that this guy asked. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we also better help other people to ask it. Mankind has the awareness of eternity hardwired into us. You know, whatever culture you study, you will find people believed in eternal life. Uh, Slaves were buried with pharaohs, so the pharaohs would have servants in the next life. Greeks were buried with coins uh, so that they could pay the ferryman to take him to the next life. Native Americans uh, were sometimes buried with their horse so that they would have transportation when they got to the happy hunting ground. People have always understood this life is not all there is until very recently in human history. Uh, You know, Satan came up with the very best and most effective ruse of them all. Naturalistic evolution appeals to man's pride and man's vanity and man's notion of intellectual superiority. It's pretty much the perfect false religion. Now, if you, if you have a background in it and an understanding of science, then let me tell you, Darwinian evolution is not intellectually satisfying. But if you don't really know, you can just take comfort in the fact that a lot of scientists say it's true, so it must be true, and that way I don't have to answer to God. You know, scientists have become the new clergy for the religion of Darwinian evolution. So at those unfortunate times when people who have been trained in this kind of mindset can't help but think of eternity, like at a funeral. We had a funeral for Miss Bonnie Bowler the other day. And I don't care who you are or what your faith is, when you get to a funeral and you say, we're about to put a body into the ground, you go, huh, what happens next? You can't avoid that question at that point. So, people take comfort sometimes in a religion that has no place for judgment or personal accountability called naturalism. Well, part of our job as ambassadors for Christ is to help people think about eternity because people will will delay it. 
They'll deny it. They will amuse themselves so they don't have to think about it. And then when they're forced to face it, they may take refuge in thinking, well, this life is all there is. Now, we do have one big advantage when we're trying to point people to think about eternity. And that is that it is in the heart and soul of man. That's why Way of the Master is my favorite witnessing program. It deals with the reality of man's guilt before God rather than getting sidetracked on other issues. So let's see how Jesus answers this lawyer's all-important question of how to gain eternal life. In Luke ten twenty six, he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? After all, if anyone should know what's written in the law, it should be this religious lawyer. Did he know? Well, let's see in the next verses. Verses 27 through 28. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. All the law of God is condensed in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are wonderfully summarized in this guy's answer right here. Now, how do we know that this is a wonderful summary? Well, Jesus says, you're right, in verse 27. Um, you know, after, after this guy says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. In verse 28, Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and live. All right, so I hope if I said, how do you get eternal life? You love God with all your faculties every second of your life, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus put his stamp of approval on that. Come sing and let's go. I hope you'd be going, wait a second. (laughs) There's a problem. And the problem is that I can't do that. I've never done that, and I can't do it now. Or maybe like this lawyer, you'd like to justify yourself. And again, this would have been a really happy story if the lawyer had said, wait, I know the law. It's not that I don't know the law. It's the problem is I can't fulfill the law. Then Jesus would have treated this guy real differently. He would have said, yes, you are right. You get it now. Now I'm kind of stealing my own thunder, but let's look ahead to Luke 18 verses 13 and 14. It says, but the tax collector, now Jesus is observing some guys in the temple. And he's observing one guy that's very happy with himself and saying, man, I'm glad I'm not like these other scumbag lowly people. But this guy gets it. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down from the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if this lawyer had not wanted to justify himself, this would have turned out way better for him. But it doesn't turn out that way. So let's see the next point, which is the delusion of self-justification. In verse 29, it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This guy was so self-deceived that the part about love God with all of your might and soul and heart and strength and mind and all that stuff just flew past him. Loving God perfectly with all your faculties every second that you live. Now this commandment, this answer from the lawyer came from Deuteronomy 6.5 
which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We are to love God completely and perfectly every moment with all our mind, emotions, and will. Now, what does that look like? Now, you may say, well, I do love God. Okay, good. I, I love God too. But do we love him like this? Well, I don't know. When, it, when the rubber meets the road, what does that look like? Well, Jesus told us in John fourteen fifteen. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I can't do this perfectly. I don't do this perfectly. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven, much less the worst parts. You know the song we sing, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Frame, the, the, the sweetest five minutes of our life, the sweetest snapshot. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. Why? Because we can't trust that best five minutes of our life. If you love perfectly, if you love God perfectly with all your faculties every second of your life, you could say, okay, well, let's talk about our neighbor. <laughs> and that's what this guy did. He thought, well, no problem there. The lawyer wasn't even phased by that part. So he thought that he had successfully loved God completely. That was an astonishing display of pride right there. So he says, okay, well, I'm good there. Let's go on to this neighbor part. And who is my neighbor, he asks in verse 29. Who is it that deserves my love? I mean, after all, you know, it's obviously not the Gentile. It's obviously not the Samaritan. So is it my fellow Jew? Or maybe not, because, you know, maybe it's just my fellow lawyer, spiritual lawyer, uh, scriptural lawyer, or priest. Maybe it's just the scribes and the priests. I mean, I wouldn't want to love any more people than necessary, right? Why did this guy need to know who his neighbor was? Well, he wanted to gain eternal life, so he needed to know what the minimum requirement was. If you're looking for the minimum you can do in your relationship to God, you really need to check on whether or not you have a relationship to God. This is not the attitude of one who loves the Lord. I mean, if I went to Melissa and I said, all right, I want to be a good husband, so, um, you know, how many date nights do we have to have? Give me a number. Do you need presents? I mean, probably on Christmas, I get that. Probably maybe even on your birthday. But, you know, um, these other holidays, we don't need to bother with that. I mean, uh, what's, the, what's the Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day, man, that was created by the, the card people. We don't need to worry about that one, right? So how many do I have to have? And then I said to her, okay, so what about physical intimacy? Well, you know, how many times a week we got to do that? That would not be good, right? <laughs> She'd be going, dude, if you loved me, you wouldn't ask these stupid questions. You'd just want to be with me and want to give me gifts and all this kind of stuff, right? And so when you try to find what the minimum requirements are for your relationship to God, it's, it's real likely that you don't love God. Certainly not like he says to love him, right? It's not easy, though, to love God perfectly all the time. Uh, I, like I've said, I don't do it. So... We've learned what's required is love God perfectly with all your faculties every instant of your life and love your neighbor as yourself. We don't have time to see what it means to love your neighbor as yourself today. We're going to pick that up next week. Every time I preach or every time you read the word, I hope it comes to a point of decision for you. Because when you learn what God says you're supposed to do, you've got to really decide. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to do that. 
Or no, I'm not going to do that. Now you can say, well, I wasn't really paying attention. I was worrying about my uh, crock pot at the house. (laughs) Okay. Then you're deciding not even to listen to the word of God, right? So I put you on the spot when you come here. You've got to make a decision about something. So let's get to the what do we do part of the sermon. Personally, we need to deal with the most important question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Realize that eternity is a fact. You'll spend eternity in heaven or hell. Realize that in order to get to heaven, you've either got to depend on your ability to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's one way to get there. Do that perfectly. Jesus said so, right? Do that perfectly. Or, if you can't, like none of us can, the other option is to come to Jesus in humility and repentance and be saved. Now guys, we've got to help other people realize the importance of this question and then help them answer it. Guys, Jesus has been sold as the world's greatest co-pilot. <laughs> That's not what he is. He's been sold to people as a guy will, who will enhance your stay. He's kind of like a really good concierge, okay? That is not who Jesus is. Jesus is the one only one that can save your soul from eternal hell. As a believer indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we need to strive to love God perfectly and love our neighbor perfectly. Now, you're not going to get there, but would a lost man get there? No. Would a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God get there? Not perfectly, because we've not been yet delivered from sin, but we can sure make a better shot at it than the lost guy can. Now, only from a place of victory and deliverance can we even seriously attempt this. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we ever come close in this life to loving God the way He deserves and loving our neighbor in such a way that we earn the credibility to come and share the gospel with them. But take heart Because perfect love for God and perfect love for others will be the case in heaven. So one day we're going to get there. One day we're going to be able to obey the law of God. But it's not in this life. So guys, we we have a tendency to tell people, you need to be saved, you need to go to church. Well, why do I need to be saved and what do I need to be saved from and why do I need to go to church? Well, because there are nice people at church. Okay, there are nice people at church, but that's not why you need to come. You need to come to see what God has to say to you, right? And being saved, right? (laughs) That means being delivered from the punishment that we all deserve, being given the righteousness of Christ and being transplanted into the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of darkness. That's a big deal. It's not a little, oh, pray this prayer kind of decision. It's repenting. You know, instead of that American gospel where you get to hang on to your stuff, your pride and your autonomy and your materialism, you got to drop it all in order to take the gospel. we got to make that clear to people because it's not a matter of how to have a more pleasant vapor. Okay, your life is like a vapor. It's not about this life. It's about the next life. Now, if I had a hundred lives to give, I would give them all to Jesus. Because living for Jesus 
and living with Jesus and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and having communion with God is so much better than anything else. I believe that. But that's not the basis of our evangelism. The basis of our evangelism is one day you're going to face God and you're either going to be judged on your ability to love Him perfectly with all your faculties and passion every second of your life and love your neighbor as yourself, or you'll be judged on Christ's righteousness who actually did accomplish that on your behalf. That's the message we got to get into us. That's the message we got to take to people.